When I was an undergrad student, I worked uh, as I was studying. I had a part-time job working for the, the Department of Medicine at UCLA, and I worked at a research lab where they were doing uh, DNA research. So what they would do is they would extract a DNA from mice that they're experimenting with, with the goal of understanding what causes uh, cholesterol or heart disease. And uh, my job often required helping the scientists sequence DNA. And, and so since then, I've had an abiding interest in that kind of world. And so I've been following with some interest how DNA research or the science has entered the mainstream consciousness. And so uh, today, there are many online databases of DNA where you can send a sample of your DNA, and they can trace out uh, where you come from. They can make family connections that you never knew existed. And I find it really fascinating and interesting. And of course, I understand that these are deep, important, abiding questions. Where do I come from? Who am I? Because in order to really answer these questions, we need to know where do I come from? Where do I fit in in this world? And as people turn to DNA database, and I think it's a fascinating and a wonderful thing, I want to tell you this morning that we as Christians, we also have that deep abiding question, who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? And it seems to me Pentecost is what answers that question for us. And so this morning, we are going to examine uh, three things from this passage and, and, and see, uh, if I can put it this way, what the coming of the Holy Spirit tells us about our spiritual DNA. Where do we come from? Who are we? Why are we here? And the first thing we learn from this passage in the coming of the Holy Spirit is promise fulfilled promise fulfilled. Now, if you remember, uh, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus uh, was, he knew he was about to be betrayed and arrested and die. And as he looked forward to his coming death, this is how Jesus uh, communicated this to his disciples. Jesus said, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And indeed, Jesus' death took place on the day of Passover. And you might remember that Passover was an annual celebration of God delivering Israel from Egypt. You remember how during the days of Jacob and his 12 sons, because of great famine, Jacob and his family moved to Egypt, and they were reunited with Joseph, whom God had sent beforehand. And after about 400 years, the Egyptians forgot all about God's kindness shown to them through Joseph, and they began to persecute the people of Israel, and they became slaves. And Egypt became to them a place of bondage and death. And then God sent Moses because he remembered, and by the way, when Scripture says, God remembered. It's not that he forgot. But when scripture says God remembered, it means that the time has come 
for God to act on his promises. And so God sent Moses and commanded the Pharaoh to let my people go. And as, of course, you know that story. The Pharaoh refused. And God rebuked Egypt's hardened heart with nine plagues. And after each plague, the Pharaoh seemed to repent, only to change his mind as soon as the crisis was passed. And then finally, God sent to Egypt the tenth and the final plague. And in that judgment, God killed all of Egypt's firstborn. But God spared Israel. God commanded Israel, the people of Israel, to sacrifice a Passover lamb. And the blood of the sacrificed Passover lamb marked every household that took shelter in God's promises. And so the Passover lamb, the sacrificed lamb and its blood spared the lives of the people of Israel. And the blood of the sacrificed Passover lamb led them to finding freedom from bondage. And ever since then, the Passover was an annual celebration of God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And as Jesus himself was approaching his death, Jesus associated his death with the Passover because the Passover lamb really pointed to Jesus. And Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And at that meal, he gave himself. And so Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, Jesus said, This is my body. Eat. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. All that to tell us that the Old Testament Passover was pointing to the true Lamb of God, sacrificed to take away our sins, that we might learn that when we shelter in Jesus, we, might, we find forgiveness and life. And then, as Jesus was crucified and died on the day of Passover, Jesus rose from the dead. And for 40 days, Jesus taught his disciples and we saw some of the, the things that Jesus was teaching them. In chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus told his disciples, You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And again in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And now... In chapter 2, verse 1, we see Jesus fulfilling his promise. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost, it's a Greek word that means the 50th, the 50th day. 50th day since what? It's the 50th day since Passover. Now, you remember that Jesus was crucified on the, on the Passover day, and he ascended into heaven after 40 days. And then after 10 days after his ascension, Jesus fulfilled his promise and he sent his Holy Spirit. 
And so that is the what and the how of this passage, promise fulfilled. And the second thing we see uh, is we're beginning to unpack the significance of what has happened. And the second thing we see is that the community is chartered, meaning God's people receive their charter, their rights, their authority, their reason for being. And in order to really understand this, it's really helpful to to do a brief review of the very rich Old Testament background of Pentecost. Now, the Jewish people, they, they began their barley harvest right after the Passover. And they finished their harvest on the 50th day, the, on the Pentecost. And so the Feast of the Pentecost is also known in the Old Testament as the Feast of Harvest. Um, sometimes it's really easy to miss this because there are so many different names for the same things. And so the Feast of Pentecost is the same thing as the Feast of Harvest, which marks the end of the 50-day barley harvest that begins after Passover. And since, you know, 50 days, seven weeks, 49 days, and the 50th day marks the day of feast and a party, and because seven weeks have passed since Passover and the, the beginning of the harvest, the uh, Pentecost is also called in the Old Testament a Feast of Weeks. So are you keeping track? Pentecost is the same thing as the Feast of Harvest, which is the same thing as the Feast of Weeks. One more. Uh, Pentecost is also the day of the first fruits. Uh, so... Numbers 28, verse 26, the Lord commands, On the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks. So on the 50th day, after having finished the barley harvest, the day that is also called the Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Harvest, Feast of Weeks, God's people would offer up to God the first portion of their harvest. As, a, as an act of thanksgiving, as an act of recognizing that whatever good they had in life comes from God. And so this is the rich background of uh, Pentecost in the Old Testament, that it is the Feast of Weeks, it's the Feast of Harvest, it's the Day of first fruits, And this connection to harvest and offering of the first fruits is particularly notable and important if we remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into his harvest. And what we will soon see in Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit-empowered apostles bearing witness for the risen Christ as the laborers sent into the harvest. And at the end of chapter 2, in verse 41, we read, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And these 3,000 are the first fruits. As the Spirit-empowered apostles go as witnesses of the risen Christ, as workers, as laborers into the harvest field, they bring in gather the first 
of what is to come, the first portion of what is to come, and the 3,000 is the first ingathering of the harvest, which anticipates the great harvest and the gathering of souls that God is beginning. And also, there's something very notable about the manner of the Spirit's coming, which points to another very signal an important moment in the Old Testament. Uh, you remember the very first over, which was celebrated in Egypt. It was the event that brought Israel out of the land of death to form them into a new nation. It was because of Passover that the slaves were freed and they were counted as a people belonging to God, and they were set apart to serve no longer the Pharaoh, but to serve God. And at the time of Jesus, in the first century, the Jewish scholars understood God's meeting his people at Mount Sinai to have taken place 50 days after that first Passover. So in the very first Passover, God judged Egypt and he brought them out. And after 50 days, they arrived at Mount Sinai and Moses went up to meet God. And when you, uh, if you remember what we read in Acts, uh, Exodus chapter 19, the scene of Moses meeting God is a scene that is filled with violent wind, fire, and loud sound. So if you remember Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered in thunder. So what really stands out, the meeting between God and Moses, is the appearance of fire, that the sound of rushing wind, storm, and many voices, loud voices, loud sound. And notice that is really the way, in a very intentional way, how the coming of the Holy Spirit is described in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the significant thing about this is that during the Old Testament times, only very select few people had visible uh, evidence of an encounter and the receiving and the filling of the Holy Spirit. But now, because of what Jesus has done, because he has ushered in a new era, the Holy Spirit comes upon it and every one of his disciples in a very visible way. And so... To summarize all this, what we are witnessing here is that Jesus, the Passover lamb, was sacrificed and his people were led out of death to become a new people devoted to God. And God's spirit came upon them 
to make them a new nation and a new kingdom. And if you remember, the law given to Moses at Sinai never could transform people while it remained written on stone tablets. And we saw, haven't we, throughout the Old Testament, how begrudgingly, how reluctantly, and this is even when they were trying, how insincerely they follow the law of the Lord. But God promised something better to come. In Jeremiah chapter 31, he promised, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. At Mount Sinai, God wrote his law upon stone tablets. And that stone tablet could never transform people. But God promised something better to write his law upon the very hearts of his people. And he promised, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And that is the significance of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost in order to write God's law in our hearts. That is to say, the Spirit changes our inward being. We delight in God's name and we delight in His will in our heart. And that is the charter of the new covenant community. That's why we exist and that's how we have come to be. And that answers the question, who am I? What am I? What am I here to do? We are a people who through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ have been rescued so that we might become a part of a new community. And by the way, this is something that we will see throughout Acts, but let me say it now so that perhaps you can keep it in the back of your mind. Um, we do not find in the New Testament a salvation that does not lead to becoming a part of the covenant community. There is no independent salvation apart from fellowship of the church. Now, that's all too common today, Spiritual, uh, spirituality without the body of Christ. But when we study Acts and the rest of the New Testament, Jesus rescues his people. He forms them. He, he uh, institutes them as a new community to be devoted to him, to write his law upon our hearts that we might delight in his name, that we might love him from the heart. That's who we are. That's what we are, a new community. Thirdly and finally, now, as you can clearly see, um, we are only taking the first 13, um, 12, 13 verses in chapter 2, and there's so much more to be said about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we will get to them next week and after. But the third thing that i like to point out to you is that the coming of the Holy Spirit on the Pentecost signals judgment reversed, judgment reversed. 
And so we read, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, Pentecost was a great day of feast for the Jewish people. And at this time, the first century, many Jews were living abroad. Uh, they are the, the Jews of diaspora. The Jews were taken as exiles, and many of them did not return. And so at this time, there are many Jews living outside of uh, Israel, but they would travel back on special occasions. And so on the day of Pentecost, there were people, Jewish people from all over the world who, because they were born in other parts of the world, who did not speak the, the Hebrew or the Aramaic language as their first native language, but they spoke the language of the places where they were from. And the Holy Spirit filled Jesus' disciples, and what they witnessed bewildered them. We read, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? These visitors from out of Israel, they were hearing these Galileans speaking Greek, Egyptian, Syrian, Persian, the language that they had never learned to speak, the languages that they have never studied before. And that is the reason why they were so bewildered and amazed, and they were asking, what is the meaning of this? Because they hear them talking, declaring in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And I think it's really important at this point to realize that in Acts, speaking in tongues does not mean what many people think it is today. Some of you perhaps have been around more of the charismatic-minded people or maybe people who are of the, the Pentecostal camp. And when they talk about speaking in tongues, they, they make this nonsensical gibberish sound. Now, when I say gibberish, it's not meant as an insult. But if you look up the word gibberish in the dictionary, it just simply means uh, unintelligible, meaningless sound. And that's how many people today uh, understand speaking of tongues, uh, sounds that don't mean anything. But when you look at this account in Acts, speaking in tongues does not mean making nonsensical sound, but speaking the actual human language that these speakers had no previous knowledge or experience of. And so there is no precedent here or in the rest of the New Testament for what people today call speaking in tongues because what they are doing today, it's nothing that we read in the Bible. But what we see here is the Galileans, people who are from the backwoods of Israel's poorest, one of the poorest communities, uneducated people, untraveled people, speaking Persian, Egypt, Egyptian, Greek. And that happened because the Spirit filled them. 
and he empowered them to bear witness to people from Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You remember this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. And that's what the Spirit is enabling and empowering them to do. And this also is the first fruits of the Spirit's harvest of souls from every tribe and every nation and every language. And finally, speaking in tongues is connected to another very well-known and important Old Testament passage, and I mean Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. You remember how there mankind was united against God in unbelief. What were they doing? They were building a tower that would reach up to the heavens. Why? What's wrong with architecture? What's wrong with construction? What's wrong with building? Nothing in and of itself, but the reason why they were doing it. Genesis 11, the building of the Tower of Babel, of course, follows Noah's flood. The flood so great that covered the highest of the mountains. So you have to ask, why are these people building a tower that is taller than any mountains. You know, they're trying to save themselves, save themselves from God's judgment. It's, it's an effort, it's an attempt to save themselves, not through repentance and faith, but by their own works. And also, if you remember Genesis chapter 4, there, there we begin to see the diversion, the, the different paths the two communities are taking. On the one hand, Seth and his family, the godly line, and Cain and his family, the ungodly line. And we read in Genesis chapter 4, Seth and his people at that time began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's the distinctive mark of God's people. They call upon the name of the Lord as worshipers. But in Genesis 11, the people who are building the tower this is the reason why they built the tower. Let us make a name for ourselves. You see, it wasn't just a construction project. It was an act of unbelief and defiance, idolatry. And so God judged their proud conceit. And he confused the language of all the earth. And they could no longer understand one another's speech. And against this background, Pentecost, we see that it is reversing God's judgment upon the earth. Because Jesus' redeeming work and the gift of his spirit are now undoing sin's division and they are making one people out of many. And the speaking of tongues, and this is why also it's so important that when people say they are practicing or they're speaking in tongues, but people remain uh, oblivious, ignorant of what is being said, it's actually a repetition of what is happening at what happened at Babel, not what is hap what has happened on the day of Pentecost when Jesus sent his spirit. Because on that day, the spirit came upon his people and he caused them to speak in tongues, foreign languages, except 
there is now understanding. It's no longer confusion, but enlightenment, understanding. And that, of course, is again the first fruits of God's work completed in glory. Sin, because of what Jesus has done, when his work is complete, sin will no longer divide us. Just think about the glorious hope. Our world is divided in a thousand different ways and more. We are divided according to race, language, politics, habits, preferences. But when God's work is complete, sin will no longer divide us. And we will be united in holiness with love for God and for one another. The world is always talking about unity because they, they are aware enough to be pained by the divisions of the world. But the solutions that they propose will never work because all their solutions are in defiance and in unbelief against God. But what the world is longing for, what the world cries for, that is our hope and our heritage. One day, Jesus' work will be complete. We will stand in glory, and we will be a united people, set apart in devotion to God, with our hearts full of love for God and for one another. That, loved ones, that is our DNA. That's where we come from, and that's where we are going. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have instructed us this morning, and we pray that you would help us to deepen in our understanding of your goodness, your grace, your gifts, that we might come to a deeper understanding of what great things you have done for us and are doing by sending us your Spirit. So then, Lord, we pray that you would set us apart in holiness and in devotion. May we live as the people that we will one day be, May we live as the people that you have called us to be, loving you with all our heart and loving one another. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.